The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Ben's with Bubba, a couple of things to talk to you about. First, the Listener League, League 2, is up and running. Just need a few more people to sign up for it. If you're interested in playing the League 15-team Roto League, just give a rating review on iTunes, and we'll get you right on in that league. So come check it out, Listener League 2, over on Fantrax. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. I cover the catchers and the relief pitchers over there. 20th edition gets you ready for your fantasy baseball drafts. Fantasy Black Book by Joe P. Sapia, the 10th edition of the Fantasy Baseball Black Book. Also, I'm doing a lot of work over at Roto Baller this year doing season-long and DFS content. If you want to get in on the action, go check it all out right now. 50% off the total package. And if you use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, you get an extra 10% off. So you can get the whole season MLB package for 60% off over at Rotoballer. You cannot miss out on that. It is a great deal. All the content, all the tools, all the great stuff for DFS and season long. A total of 60% off if you use promo code Bubba. So go check that out on Rotoballer. But for now, speaking of Rotoballer, I got a special guest on Bench with Bubba, episode 253, talking spring training, some advanced stats like outs above average, barrels, TGFBI, and more with Eric Samolski of Rotoballer. Hope you all enjoy. to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 253. Got a special guest, first timer on the show. You can find his work over at Rotoballer on Twitter at NYC. Eric Samolski, how we doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, good. Great to have you on the show. Happy uh, to be on. I mentioned the Rotoballer thing before we dig into everything. Let everybody know what you got going on. Yeah, so uh, start. I'm up on Rotoballer right now. I've been doing a couple of uh, different pieces, uh, looking into uh, barrels, um, who's kind of like who's got some regression coming their way, who had some 
um, progress last year, whether that's sticky or not. And then I started looking into uh, that StatCast uh, OAA metric, which is outs above average. Um, they've had it for a couple of years for the outfield, basically just kind of measuring as a defender on each individual defensive play, um, how many outs above major league average that defender is able to get. Um, and they released it this year um, with the infielders as well. So now you've got to get a whole sense of a team's entire defense, um, how good that defense is. Uh, and then the cool thing about StatCast is you're able to check that when a pitcher is on the mound too. So I can look up a particular pitcher and see the quality of defense that um, that his team plays in general, but also while he's specifically been on the mound. So it's a, a brand new thing that they've got with all players. So we're just kind of playing around with it and then seeing what we can pull out from it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to get, seeing how deep it keeps going. It's fun uh, seeing all the new metrics. I know I, I felt like an idiot once I asked you, what's OAA once you said, oh, oh. Yeah. no duh. No, yeah, that, make, I mean, that made sense when you said it. There's, there's new things coming out every day. Once you kind of keep up with something, there's a new thing coming out. Well, I, I didn't know if it was a stat cast or a rotoballer thing, because like rotoballer, <laughs> we have uh, RB, EVR, and all R- these different yeah, things. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so what is this? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, <laughs> so. it's, it's uh, you know, I haven't I haven't done a math or a numbers class since college, and every time I'm, you know, getting back into baseball, I feel like I'm getting that, that dose of numbers and math and all that. And I've said it for like people that uh, maybe listen back to like episode one. I was, and I, I still kind of can be at times. I will never say I'm not. I was very Neanderthal like type person sure. when it came when it came to any new stat. I was like, nope, this is the way we do things. And I've embraced them, and I keep learning them, and I have so much more to learn. Like I have nowhere close to probably you and many others. Like I'm always learning every day. That's what that's one thing that's cool about hosting the podcast is I get to learn things all the time. Uh, yeah. So, I- I made the same transition. I mean, you know, I used to, I used to play and I kind of did the whole old Mm -hmm. school. Like I judge everything by my eyes. If I see the way the pitch moves, if I see the way the swing looks, that's more important than anything else. Um, And I think you just kind of realize the more you watch, the more you pay attention that, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing that that middle ground is, is super interesting. And, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, what I, what I've had to learn to do is it's, it's similar to when you look at a particular player, right. And there's that, that new sleeper that everybody's infatuated with. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that draft price soars because everybody's focused on that guy. And it's the same thing with a stat. You get a new stat and, and it's all everybody wants to talk about. And sometimes we, you know, we have to take a breath and see that it's just one in a, a number of stats and try to see which ones are really, you know, more useful. And, and sometimes you, you know, it's interesting, but maybe not actionable. A hundred percent. Like we're seeing more and more of these guys say, that are doing the heavy lifting and then I get to kind of act like I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And, and I, I'm like, and they're so they're showing how barrels are one of the stickiest, you know, best stats are showing, you know, line drive exit velocity is pretty strong. Then there's all these other ones that are, they're nice, but are they really worth, you know, trusting so often? So it's interesting to see how it all plays out because each stat tells a story. It's how you put each story together to give like the, the overall picture. And, exactly. And, and that's the fun part about it. And you mentioned how you played and you used to be like all, all the, you know, just with the eyes and I, I'm a hundred percent with you. Cause that's how I was. And I still feel like I am. I feel, I feel like I've made it maybe like a 60, 40, like 60%. I sure. still trust the eye test as a guy like yourself that played, you know, like baseball, you know, superstitions, a lot of streaks, like you're feeling mm-hmm. it or you're not. There's so like, like I tell people when for my season long approach on things, doing daily fantasy, helps me so much because you learn the splits and when guys are streaking and 
like all these different types of deals. And I still think there's a lot to it because like, there's no way to mathematically analyze if a guy's, you know, on a hot streak type thing. Right. There really isn't. And so I, I still use it. How much do you say you still use the eye test when you're evaluating? I think I still use it as much as I can. I mean, the beauty of, you know, well, Major League Baseball is a little behind all the other uh, sports in terms of, you know, being able to get a lot of access to clips and all that online. It seems like, mm-hmm. you know, people are talking about it right now with all the string, the spring training games. You know, there's not a lot on TV. Anytime you get a good clip or an at-bat up on Twitter, somebody's going to come up and pull it down. Um, so, you know, it's not as easy as some of the other sports, but, you know, in 2020, we're still pretty spoiled with how much we have access to online. So I try to watch, um, you know, as much, as much as I can of, you know, pitchers and certain hitters at bats. And I think, you know, um, I, I trust my eyes, I guess. I mean, you know, I, I trust numbers. Sure. Um, but I, you know, I, I guess I'm, I try to make it, if I can see a guy, I think I trust what I see. Um, and just kind of hope that, uh, you know, maybe it gives, it clarifies the numbers a little bit, you know, but I look at, uh, how easy it is. I think your point to, um, take a number and maybe take it out of the the context of the game in particular, like recently, I think my big pet peeve has been how much, uh, how easy people make it seem to just, oh, well, if he just raises his launch angle. He just has to raise his launch angle. So well, easy to do. Just do it. Try, you know, try to raise right. your launch angle, guys. Come exactly. On. I mean, raising your launch <laughs> angle changes an entire swing. So, like my my guy right now that you know I'm a little bit lower on than everybody else is is Yandy Diaz because everybody's yeah. like, well, he has a 5.4 launch angle. If he just raises his launch angle with how hard he hits the ball, then he's gonna you know crush 25, 30, whatever homers. But sure, but in order to range his launch to raise his launch angle, he needs to change around his entire swing. And mm-hmm. yes, these guys are gifted hitters, and a lot of them can do that and still make the same quality of contact. But not everybody. It's not a it's yeah. not a given. I mean, I think you know you saw last year with somebody like Travis Shaw, who was a thirty plus home run hitter, and then changed his swing, and all of a sudden he couldn't hit anything. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, he changed his swing, and he he couldn't get out of his own way. So. You know, sometimes it's not as easy as the the numbers make it seem. Yeah, and there's there's guys like Daniel Murphy that have proven you can do it. Like it's possible, but like like you're saying, it's like for every Daniel Murphy, there's probably 20 guys that try and just makes them worse. Yeah. So it's so hard. Like, look at look at uh, Wilson Ramos for crying out loud. I think his launch angle was literally zero last year, zero. Um, so just imagine what he could do if you wanted to play that game, but. Yeah, that, that, we can go down a rabbit hole on this kind of stuff oh, yeah. uh, we'd, we'd the go whole for time. It. But let's get back on track because you got a TGFBI pick to make on I Aaron do, yeah. Soon. I'm on the clock, I'm on the yeah. clock right now. So we got to get that before you get the dreaded auto pick. But we got to go over some uh, recent spring training news real quick just to keep people in the loop on what's going on and kind of how we would approach the situation. And we'll start with uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Calf strain, another injury from Giancarlo. I was telling someone at least it's not like a core injury like we've seen in the past. But it's still a calf injury. They're already saying he's probably going to miss the start of the season. Uh, he's been going after pick 100 in recent online drafts, which is interesting. Uh, how are you approaching Stanton? Is there a price tag that you will be buying in on Stanton? Um, I mean, sure. I never want to say never. Um, I'm just super hesitant after all the years because, you know, you are you're taking a massive roll of the dice. Um, and I know where his ADP was, you know, everybody kept saying, why not, you know, why not wait and get Miguel Sano for, you know, 40 picks, 50 picks less, um, and still, 
you know, have some of that same power. Uh, if he's going after a hundred, I'm a little bit more interested um, just because it's more in that, in that range where you get out, you get out of him what you can. And if he's hurt and you have to release him or put him on the IL, if you're in a league with an IL spot and grab somebody else, then you're not wasting um, as much value as if he's your, you know, third, fourth, fifth round pick. Um, I think I'd probably need to see him drop um, somewhere in like the, the, I don't know, man, like the one twenties, one thirties. I mean, right now, Chris Davis is going uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the TGFBI ADP, Chris Davis is one fifty five. Um, and that's a 40 plus home run bat. I mean, I don't know that I can take Stanton at a hundred if I can wait 50 picks and roll the dice on Chris Davis. Yeah. Uh, Davis is one that I like to, to compare Miguel Sano at like one fifteen is a monster bat. You can get Fran Mil Reyes later on. There's a lot of uh, interesting power bats. If you want like a similar yeah. uh, situation as uh, Giancarlo, I'm a big Giancarlo fan. I was I was actually finally. I usually don't draft him early. When he's going in the fifth round, I was intrigued. Now it's getting a little questionable. It's almost like if I think I can handle the weight game, sure. Otherwise, I'll probably pass. With Giancarlo being out till he start the season, you know, you have Mike Talkman there. Um, I, I really don't think Clint Frazier ever gets a chance anymore. That's the which, which the, is a, such crappy, a shame. Crappy such situation. Shame. The whole deal makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, eventually Aaron Hicks will be back. And there's other movement. Like they're trying to get Andahar on the outfield, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Who who would you think is the beneficiary to maybe draft for right now? You know, I think it depends on the size of the league. Uh, if I'm in a 12 team, I'll, I'll take a late flyer on uh, flyer on Talkman because he's he's got a spot, uh, you know, according to roster resource right now. Um, I mean, he is the left fielder. The issue, you know, I mean, I guess they have him slotted at the bottom of the lineup, um, which, you know, it's still a good lineup. There's RBI opportunity. There's run scoring opportunity. If he's hitting nine and you got LeMayhew, Judge, uh, Torres coming up after him. So if I'm in a 12-team league and one of my my last few picks, I'll take a shot on him because, you know, I think that he's, um, you know, he proved last year that he can he can put up some numbers. Um, you know, he's, he's not somebody who's going to, run away with a cat run away uh, with a category for you but you know he's a, a 22.8 o swing guy so he doesn't chase a lot outside of the zone uh, 85.8 zone contact percentage um, he's got um, an 11.5 percent uh, walk percentage so he's gonna get on base he's gonna make solid contact um, his ground ball percentage was down last year and his uh, fly ball percentage was up which is why he knocked out a few more home runs than in years past so I feel like there's there's some minimal value, and on a good offense like that, I'll take the accumulation. Um, in deeper leagues, though, I got to tell you, um, if you're like in a 15-teamer still drafting like TGFBI towards the end, um, I kind of like taking a stab at, at Mike Ford. Um, okay. You know, Ford's uh, listed as a first baseman, so he can't really play in the outfield like Talkman, but he's a lefty. Um, he can slot in at DH. Uh, against righties, whereas, you know, Andahar is a righty. Uh, and Mike Ford's numbers last year, you know, he had a better barrel percentage than Mike Talkman. He had a higher exit velo than Mike Talkman. His X stats are all higher than than Mike Talkman's were. Uh, he's got a lower K percentage than Talkman does. He had a 301 ISO last year. Talkman was 227. Um, he also doesn't chase a lot of pitches outside of the zone. He has an 8.1 swinging swipe, strike percentage. 
uh, 88.3 zone contact. So, you know, he's a big left-handed hitter with that short porch and right field. In a deep league, I'm going to take my shot on him and see if he can get some DH at-bats. And, you know, as we were mentioning streakiness early on, all it takes is to start the season with a couple home runs in your back pocket, uh, proving that you need to be in the lineup. Totally. Uh, Ford, definitely worth the gamble. Uh, if Voight gets banged up again as well, Ford can slide in and uh, see some definite playing time as the, the power is legit with him. So would be easy to see. We'll stay with the pinstripes here. This one's kind of a done deal. It broke during my recording yesterday with James Anderson. I'll get your opinion on this now. Luis Severino, hey, he had Tommy John surgery on Thursday as we are recording. He is in recovery. All reports were great, of course, coming back from the Yankees. But he's done till for all of this year until probably middle of next year. So they're already missing James Paxton for a while. He says he's ahead of schedule, but um, that injury still scares me. So it looks like Jordan Montgomery, Jonathan Loisiga are sliding into the, the spots in the back of that rotation. How are you approaching this situation in New York? Um, you know, I've always been, I guess, always uh, since 2017. You know, I've, I've been a Montgomery fan. I do like uh, it's another one of those guys that, you know, I'm from New York, so the Yankees are on all the time. I saw him pitch a bunch during that season. I kind of like the way that he just approaches things on the mound. I like the way he pitches. I like the way he attacks. I like the way he sequences. Uh, he had a pretty good year in, in 2017, um, you know, 144 strikeouts and 155 innings, 3.88 ERA, 1.23 whip. Um, he's got a pretty solid curveball uh, that had, um, but, you know, and a, at a, at a decent changeup too. It's that fastball that wasn't great. Um, but, you know, since 2017, there have been a lot of bad fastball pitchers that have kind of shown that by utilizing the fastball up in the zone more and the breaking stuff low, that they can kind of hide the fastball. So I'm cautiously optimistic on, on Montgomery, actually. I'm with you. I grabbed him at the end of a, I if it was a, a, qualify, a 12-team qualifier or a 15-team other league, I have too many leagues already this year. Um, but I have at least one Montgomery share for sure. I'm, I know him. That was before Severino's. That was just in the uh, wake of James Paxton. So I'm on board with Montgomery. He should be healthy and ready to roll. Uh, you got Lois and some others that could be kind of moving around there. Eventually, uh, Paxton will be back. But Montgomery, I am with you. That should stick around for quite some time. So big yeah. fan of that one. And the, the key thing to remember about Loaziga or, or you know, um, Davey Garcia or whoever, if they bring it up, is we got Paxton coming back, but then also after 80 games, you got Domingo Herman coming True. back off suspension. So even if Paxton comes back and then you say, oh, you know, he's an injury-prone pitcher and he's, he's, you know, maybe he gets hurt again. Well, if he comes back, pitches for a month or so, you know, month and a half, gets hurt, now you're almost got Domingo Herman taking that spot. So I think you're really looking at one spot in this rotation, at least for the season. But you know, um, you got to kind of you got to play for April first, and then and then see how how players progress and who you're cutting and who you're holding on to. Well, how about this guy going to Cincinnati here? Eugenio Suarez coming off a near 50 home run season last year. People were hyped that he had a swimming pool accident, had surgery on his shoulder. We saw like pictures last week. That he's taking ground balls. Everyone's getting pretty pretty pumped up on it. And now we're getting reports he still can't swing or throw, which is concerning as I'll get up to me. Uh, shoulder injuries are not good at all. He's going around pick ninety five over the last two weeks in online drafts and NFBC. As low as one twenty nine. I was pretty happy about the idea of him coming back. 
Now I don't even know if I can draft him. What's your thoughts on Suarez? Yeah, he's another tough one. I mean, they're referring to it as loose cartilage in his right shoulder. Um, obviously, he's a righty, so that's his, his throwing shoulder. Um, as a right-handed hitter, too, you get, you're getting a lot of power from the, the top hand. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, if the price is right, um, if he starts dropping that, that hot, that max pick you were talking about around the one twenties, one thirties, you know, I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice as we get and buy in, as we get that type of ADP, uh, just thinking that, you know, if he gets hurt, um, and I need to, I need to move on, then so be it. I need to move on. I mean, you know, you're you're looking right now in the 130 ADPs of like the, you know, Tommy Edmonds and Danny Santana's, uh, Kevin Biggio. So I would argue none of those guys are really a sure thing. Um, and so I'm I'm okay taking Suarez in that in that same range, and you know, just kind of hoping for the the shoulder to be good. Yeah, the talent's no doubt. It's just a matter of what's that shoulder doing. So I guess we'll have to. Wait and see how that keeps developing this spring. Uh, speaking of shoulders, J.D. Davis of the New York Mets uh, left a couple days ago. The shoulder injury MRIs came back with no structural damage. But what are you doing with J.D. Davis? You know, Giannis Suspedis looks like he's ready to rock and roll this year in a contract season. You still have uh, Dom Smith out there. They say it might platoon with him. Playing time might not be as clear-cut as we once hoped for the stat cast darling J.D. Davis. Are you still trying to draft him with upside this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm still interested in J.D. Davis. I mean, I think, you know, all he's ever really done is is hit. I mean, he hit throughout the minor league career. There was a brief, his his first call up with Houston, he struggled a little bit. But, um, you know, I mean, for the majority of his career, he's proven he can hit. Um, you know, he's got some uh, ability to move over the field. The Mets have a long history of having guys get banged up. Um you know, listen, I'd love to see Cespedes out there, um, you know, mm-hmm. for the majority of the season. Um, I can't – I'm not going to shy away from J.D. Davis because of Cespedes. Um, if it happens, so be it. It's been a while since he's been on the field. Um, so I don't consider that a, a major threat right now, um, especially when you look at where J.D. Davis is is going in drafts. I mean – you know, in the in the TG FBI draft, um, he is his average pick is 176. So nice. you're already talking late enough in drafts where he's going that I still think the upside is is worth it, um, especially because you're getting that multi position eligibility, um, and he's got places where the Mets will find a way to get his bat in the lineup if he's healthy. I, I truly believe if he hits, he's going to play. I still see a path for you know, 450, 500 at bats, which is, you know, enough to for him to post, you know, 20 plus home runs and be worth a pick near 200 if you're looking for some power. Uh, in, in the NFPC right now, J.D. Davis going to like 180 at 179 is Justin Turner. Would you rather have Davis or Turner? I think, I think Turner. Um, yeah. I just kind of trust the at bats more. Um, the mm-hmm. offense there is, is better. Um, so I think he'll get some more counting stats. Um, obviously, you hate to lose that position flexibility that that JD Davis has. It's always good, um, especially if you're in like a daily moves league or something like that. Uh, but I but I'd go I would go Turner. Another third base outfielder going eight picks behind him. Uh, Hunter Dozier, Dozier or Davis? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. 
I think they're very uh, similar players. I think I think right now, I think I'd go Dozier. I'm buying mm-hmm. into last year, and that's another one where if you're giving me the same multi-position eligibility, I'll take the locked-in plate appearances. Yeah, um, I'll say the, really, go for the it. Different, the difference between the two is Dozier's pretty much locked into everyday at-bats, so I'm with you exactly. there. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go to the L.A. Dodgers for me. I just want to bring him up. Dustin May, I've talked about him a ton on this show. I'm a huge Dustin May fan. Reports came out recently that he's going to start the season in the minor leagues. I tried to twist it with a grain of salt. It means they're going to keep him as a starter, so that's good. But um, now there's reports that he's got you know side discomfort. He hasn't resumed throwing yet. That's going to set him back at all. Uh, any are you going to take any chances on him in a draft and just try to hold on to him, hoping he comes up early, or is this kind of scaring you off? Um, I don't think I'm taking chances in a redraft league, and it's not so much um, the side issue, even though that doesn't help. It's I just don't know where he's going to throw. I mean, you've got Kershaw, Bueller, Price, Wood, Urias, Gonsolin, Stripling. Um, those guys are all arguably ahead of him for starts. Um, and you know, the way that the Dodgers like to kind of manipulate the innings. So even if you, you know, Dustin may gets called up, he's on your roster, he's going to get a start. He's up. How long is he up for? How many starts are you getting? Are they just going to send him back down to the minors? Because if they send him to the minors, you can't throw him in an IL spot. You know, you've got to just leave him sitting on your bench. So for me, I think this year in a redraft only league, that's a you know that's a headache that I don't know that I want to deal with. I don't I don't see him with the upside of somebody who's gonna you know get a couple good starts and then all of a sudden be locked into the rotation, and throw 120 innings for the major league club this year. Yeah, it, it's harder and harder every day for me to to be willing to take him. I had some of him earlier because I thought there was a chance he'd start the year in the rotation, and then that's been. Uh, Poo-pooed away, so yeah. that's uh, re- really, really sucking there. Uh, last bit of news here. There's other news out there, but he's just the relevant ones at this point in time. Uh, Tommy Pham, this kind of stinks. He played through an elbow injury all last year. We saw it affect him at times offensively uh, for the Rays, now with the Padres. And he's already showing discomfort in that elbow, and they're kind of you know playing it slow with him to try to keep him healthy. But the fact it's lingering now, you almost think he's a New York Yankee, but he's playing for the Padres. Um is this scaring you off at all? Because he's up to pick 71-ish right now. He's going right after Whit Merrifield, right before uh, Lewis Roberts, Ramon Lariano and company in the outfield. Uh, is this concerning you at all? Um, today, right now, no. Um, I, I, you know, I, I did a little digging as much as I could. I mean, this is, you know, one of those things where we're, we're getting some vague coach speak from the organization. Um, but right now, what I read is that they're that they're referring to it as as general soreness. Um, now, you know, he's he had an elbow issue. He's going through a rehab. He's going through a, a throwing program. I think anytime you're trying to, you know, rehab a ligament, soreness to me isn't isn't a concern. I mean, soreness when you're working back from a prior injury would be normal. If it was pain, then you know, I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned. You know, he's also an outfielder. He's not a pitcher. So um, soreness in your throwing arm is not as big of a deal as somebody who's got to throw, you know, 80 to 100, 120 pitches in a, in a day. So if I take them at face value that this is just soreness that they're monitoring as he recovers, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. 
Uh, but it's definitely something that I think is worth keeping an eye on over the next few days. Yeah, it'll be worth monitoring for sure. Uh, let's go to the TGFBI now. This has been a fun one. Justin Mason, your three of this great fantasy baseball invitational you've created that uh, has been great. My third year doing it. Is this your first or second it's my, year? It's my first year in it. And I'm, uh, I've been watching from afar the last few years, and I kind of am loving this opportunity to to get in and um, and, you know, try my hand at it. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. I love how it's grown every year, and uh, I think it's fun. This year, I'm in a league where I know only like two or three guys, which is fun for me because I love getting to know so many more people in the industry because there's a ton of great minds that uh, are out there. What league are you in this year? Uh, I'm in League 19. League 19. All right. Uh, who is in your league? Let's uh, let's just start with the basics here. Um. Let's see. I can go. I'm trying to pull up the document and see if I can go through the whole thing. Um, so, uh, man, what is Ed, what is Eddie's last name? Eddie Alvarez, um, Almangara, Almangara. Yeah, yeah. Who's like? I think he was the number one overall player yep. based on his last three year record. Um, He's the so OG. That's fun. And then Adam Adam Ronis is in the league, and I think he was nice. uh, somewhere top ten in his overall performance. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple nice, a couple guys that I know that I, um, I read some of their stuff, um, on Twitter. Um, so it's Justin, uh, I think it's Paradis, but, uh, from, uh, Pitcher List, uh, Mike Maher's in there, Eric Halterman's in there, um, Stephen, uh, Stephen Humans is in there, Corey Steiner. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty solid league. I mean, you know, there are some guys I was familiar with before, some guys I wasn't, but just kind of seeing the way that that everybody's approaching it, um, you know, it's it's interesting to be in a league with a lot of sharp minds. No doubt about it. Um, what round are you guys in right now? Uh, I'm about to make uh, my 11th round pick. Um, I'm, I was picking out of the seven spot, so I'm pick, uh, it's pick 157 right now. I have the seventh spot, and I'm four picks from my 11th round pick, too. Oh. So before you make your 11th pick, why don't you sure. give us your, your roster so far? Who who have you taken? All right. Uh, so I'll go down through it in order. So at, at 7, I took Mookie Betts. Uh, 24, I went Chris Sale. Uh, and then Altuve at 37, Blackman at 54, Nelson Cruz, 67, Tim Anderson at 84, Mike Moustakis at 97. So that gave me all hitters and sale. Um, and then I loaded up on, uh, or I went all pitching the last three spots and took Zach Gallen at 114, uh, bought into the Edwin Diaz rebound at 127, um, and then took Kyle Hendricks at 144 to, um, give, to solidify the ratios. I figure, you know, him and Sale, I, I don't mind as a, as a pairing because Sale will get me a boatload of Ks, um, and he can balance out for Hendricks, you know, lack of K's, but the it's a real solid uh, ratio floor for me. Are you um, assuming since you took sale, you have no concerns about him, do you? Um, I wouldn't say no concerns, um, but I just felt like, you know, my, my strategy going in was I was going to, I was going to get an ACE. Um, and then I like a lot of the starters going in the range where I took some, and then some guys still coming up later, like around the two hundreds that are some high, upside guys a lot of young guys with with some with a ceiling so I knew I wanted a, an ace an anchor and I was hoping it was going to be DeGrom at seven um when he went right before me I just 
I thought, you know, I, I'll take the upside over sa- of sale over, you know, the, the Biebers and Flaherty's and, you know, trying to wait around for those guys. I think that when he's on, he is arguably the starting pitcher number one. And, you know, I know that they're taking all, every precaution possible with his arm. Um, I'm just going to r- roll the dice and, and kind of hope that it's not a multi-year thing. I think, you know, he is a very competitive dude and last year seemed to bother him. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have taken every precaution possible to make sure that whatever it was that was, you know, plaguing him is fixed. All right, I see you got a little less than 20 minutes for this pick. I found your uh, your page here. So I'll, ask, I'll ask a couple more questions before we make okay. the pick. Um, I had the fortune of having Jacob DeGrom fall into my lap at seven. Mm-hmm. If you if you if if Cole or DeGrom would have been available, would you have t- still taken bets or do you take one of the big guns? I take one of the I take one of the big arms. I still okay. even with the way it, it fell out for me, I still like the idea of of grabbing an ace and then loading up on the bats and trying to start grabbing pitchers around, you know, around seven, eight, and nine. I think that's my, my strategy right now this year. Yeah. I don't mind that at all. Um, when you went through here, I like the Tim Anderson pick. I think he's like sneaky upside in that one. I love Moose. I'm huge on him. I, I got Zach Gallon at the same exact spot you did, nice. which is kind of funny. That's the only pick we share, but um, I, 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 I have a lot of these guys I, in other leagues. But I, love I was, Gallen. I pushed it with uh, my goal was my, I wanted Wheeler. I was actually going to take Wheeler at, at 97. I'm I'm really really high on him this year, and I just I had an eye on the ADP, and I kept seeing that his ADP even in TGFBI was around like 118, and I was just I got greedy and I thought okay I'm at 114. His ADP is close to 120. Maybe I'll push it. Um, and Wheeler went two picks before before me, and I I took Gallon as my consolation prize and i'm i'm not not too sad about it i think sale gallon and Hendricks um gives me a real solid floor of starters and then i can load up on the upside guys and hope that you know two or three of them um really pop yeah no doubt about it and uh when you took edwin diaz it's funny because i took gallon and there's like four closers on the board i'm like okay i'd love diaz to come to me and then rogers diaz jansen and someone else went off the board so i took brad hand there which I'm not like in love with Brad Hand, but he was one of the last big closers left. So in right. an overall you, content, you, you, know, you never want to root for you never want to root for injuries. Um, but yeah. the Emmanuel is it? I don't know. Is it Classe? Classe. Classe. Yeah, yeah. So the Emmanuel Classe injury right now, uh, at least it it gives a little more breathing room uh, for Hand. There's not one less guy breathing down breathing down his neck. I was happy to get Diaz where I got him. I saw, you know, um, Ariel Cohen, who um, is also writing for Rotoballer right now. He's obviously a huge Mets fan, but he took Diaz in the seventh and was super happy about being able to get Diaz there. Um, So the fact that I was able to get him um, in the ninth, um, I just, I felt like it was really good value there. Yeah, no doubt about it. So you have one closer, three starters, couple outfielders, second base, shortstop, technically second or third, and your utility filled up, where mm-hmm. are you going with your 11th round pick? Um, so I've, I've narrowed it down to uh, three different directions. So the first, I could go catcher and take Wilson Contreras. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a two-catcher league, so I do like the idea of having one solid option. I was not planning to take a catcher 
this early. Um, but, you know, Wilson Contreras is now about 30 picks beyond his ADP. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, normally going in like the, in like 129, 130. Um, and I'm at 157. Uh, I have him as in my, in my rankings, um, I have him as the fourth best catcher still just ahead of Mitch Garver. I kind of have them back to back. So I could go there. Um, I hadn't planned on, on doing that. Another could go, but hadn't planned on is I told myself I wouldn't draft Danny Santana, uh, but he's just sitting there staring at me with his dual position eligibility and potential 2020 season. Um, and I like, I like where I'm at um, with stolen bases in terms of, you know, Betts and Altuve and Tim Anderson are, you know, Betts and Anderson are probably 20 stolen base guys or close to it. Altuve is, you know, 10 to maybe 15, but probably around 10. Um, but I could use another guy um, to give me 20 some odd stolen bases. I was kind of hoping that Edmund or Kingery would, would fall here um, and they didn't. So in that same vein, I'm also kind of buying in on the Lorenzo Kane bounce back. Yeah. Um, and I know his ADP is, is lower uh, or, you know, it's 182, but right now in terms of just TGFBI, um, you know, he's been going, uh, let's see, his TGFBI ADP is 158. Um, and he's been drafted in 14 leagues and I'm at 157. So it plays into his ADP in the TGFBI leagues. I think that, you know, he was hurt last year. So I think that 20 stolen bases is maybe his floor if he's healthy and he could push 25 plus. Uh, and I'm just not sure how many guys left have that in them. Yeah, uh, the the Kane one's very very intriguing. Like, uh, yeah, I I won't tell you how I rank them. Also, you pick first, but uh, the Kane one's very intriguing. So go ahead. Who are you taking with your eleventh pick? Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna put on the spot. Uh, I'm definitely. I just can't buy into Danny Santana. Um, nah, and me neither. I'm, I'm sure he's a a great guy, um, but I just it's too much of the late blooming for me. Um, Oh, I should have mentioned also. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on uh, Kyle Tucker? Okay, so I had James Anderson from Rotowire on the show yesterday on Wednesday, and I've been so back and forth on Kyle Tucker because I know the potential is huge, but is he going to play? So on and so right. forth. He says everything they see scouting wise last year, you're not going to see in the big leagues. Like he could have, st- he could still hit like 25 home runs. But he's not stealing all those bags in the bigs. Like he'd probably be more like a fifteen to twenty steals guy, which is still awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're hoping for the best case scenario, and you're hoping for playing time. So he's one of those, I guess, that if he if he blasts off like he could, he's a league winner. But there's a ton of question marks, and where he's getting drafted, it's not worth it to me. And James kind of felt the same way. Yeah, that's he's out there for for me, and that's probably why that's why I didn't even bring him up to you to start it off. I just I I don't think I can do it. Uh, I'm between Kane and Wilson Contreras, um, and if I look at my plan for the next two or three rounds, depending on who I pick here. Um, See, I'm like you. I usually don't take catchers early, but in a two catcher league with an overall. 
I try to get one of the big like I took Gary Sanchez in the seventh and I never do yeah. that. But it's one of those uh I usually punt catchers even a two catcher league, but I think it just sets you back so far. Like I'm not saying you have to get Contreras, but pretty soon you're gonna have to start getting somebody. Yeah. And um that definitely changes things instead of waiting forever. Yeah, I've I've got some guys um still still left out there that I like. I mean, real the only the only four catchers have gone in my league so far. Um, okay. so I think there are some, some guys out there. Um, but, oh man, um, <laughs> it's, this is the thing, right? You get down to it and then it's, uh, it's tough. I think I'm going to, I think, you know, my gut is telling me that as much as I like Kane, that this might be a, a little early to bank on those stolen bases to just pull for the stolen bases. I think I'm going to take Contreras and, and lock in, uh, and lock in one of my catchers. Yeah, I don't hate it. It's it's a big time catcher you're locking in there. I like the Kane upside. I think there's a lot to like about it, but uh, I think Contreras is uh, the way to go in this scenario. Out of those three guys you mentioned, I guess definitely the way to go. So Jose Contreras or Wilson Contreras. Sorry, I love it. Uh, really intriguing play there. Can't wait to see where you go. Oh, auto picked Edwin Encarnacion right away. You gotta love it. Guys on auto pick are, are God's blessings to draft. You know, um, I I man. One of the night, like a couple nights ago, I was three picks away, and it was you know just I had to had to go to sleep. Put four guys in the queue, set the auto, and I. This was Severino was still at the top of the board because they hadn't taken him out yet, and I oh, went to bed freaking out that I was going to have screwed something up and wake up with with Severino on my team. <laughs> Don't you love the world of fantasy baseball? We live in. Yeah, it's so amazing. Um, so yeah, TGFBI, it's been pretty awesome. We'll uh, revisit this uh, at some other time and see how things keep going out. But uh, it's fun having you in the seventh spot and seeing, watching your draft board and, and seeing the different way it moves compared to where I'm sitting at right now. But I, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things you're working on. You talked about them at the, at the beginning of the show. So we'll talk with uh, about OAA right out the gate. You mentioned how you're seeing it outs above average and uh, the new additions they're making. So what new additions are they making that are uh, making you dig into it more often? So I think that the key thing was the, um, was the inclusion of the infielders, right? Cause it's great to have OAA for outfield. It's just nice to see which guys are actually, um, you know, recording outs above the average for their position. I mean, you know, we, we tend to know who the good outfielders are because we, we see the highlights all the time. Um, but with infielders, it's actionable for so many more positions because of how much it impacts a pitcher. You know, you look at a pitcher with a ground ball percentage that's around 50% or over, he's relying on that infield defense a lot to ensure, you know, his ratios, to ensure, you know, um, his wins, his innings, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the more information we get on the actual quality of a defense – uh, the the better. And what I even haven't even begun to dug into is that uh, to di- to dig into. Sorry, is that OAA actually not only will say like, um, you know, so for example, one of the the biggest things that I found that was interesting was um, it'll break down by the position within the position that that person is is at too. So for example, um, when they look at um like Jonathan Scope right Jonathan Scope ranked 29th overall um on the OAA leaderboard but if you click on his individual breakdown it actually shows where 
on the field, not just the position of second base, his best plays came from. And that essentially he, he was most effective as an infielder when he was shifted to basically be playing over the bag at second base. So I haven't even begun to look at that where you're thinking like, okay, so, you know, as a normal second baseman playing, um, you know, the position that were, or where he's set on maybe 75% of plays, he was an average fielder, but when they, when they shift him, he becomes above average in the shift based on positioning. So, you know, because this is the first year they've done that, it's like, is that, is that fluky? Um, you know, is that, is that kind of actionable information? Um, or is it just kind of a way, is it propping up an, an otherwise average defender? So it's been interesting to kind of dig into that and compare it to, you know, UZR and some of the other fielding metrics and try to see if it's, um, you know, how much weight to put on it. Uh, so when, when you're developing these for pitchers, uh, you said you broke some of them down. What are you trying to to gain out of looking at the pitcher situation? Because, like, when I go to the outs above average leaderboard, it just – the first page is, you know, Victor Robles, Javi Baez, Kevin Kiermaier, all these guys. When right. you're looking at it from a pitcher standpoint, what are you trying to garner out of that? So on the on the tab, you know, you can set it to – when you go on there, um, you can set it to view and you can set it to pitcher. And it will actually tell you, um, you know – as it says, this table shows the performance of the defense behind the pitcher while he was on the mound, not the fielding performance of the pitcher himself. So you can see the way the defense performed while the pitcher was pitching. So one of the guys, you know, I spoke to you about earlier, the first one that pops off the page is Dakota Hudson is number, was number one last year in OAA while he was on the mound. The defense when he was on the mound was 16 outs above average. The number two pitcher in baseball was Miles Michaelis, and the defense behind him was eight outs above average. So the defense behind Dakota Hudson was two times better than the defense behind the second best or the the second the number two pitcher in all of baseball. So to me, that's a ridiculous outlier. There's there's that's not sustainable, no matter what type of pitcher Dakota Hudson is. At some point, that regresses to the mean, um, which is why, you know, not that I was in on Dakota Hudson to begin with, but why he's kind of a prime example of of a guy that I think OAA is is telling us, you know, to to stay away from or to pump the brakes on a little bit. And ironically, on the same team, the St. Louis Cardinals. So sure. uh, something to keep in mind there as well. Yeah, and th- that's another cool thing about about OAA is, you know, when you have the the view tab, you can view it by fielding team. Um, and then, obviously, you know, if you view it by fielding team, the Cardinals are the num- were the number one team by OAA by a full nine outs last year, which is why a lot of their pitchers were were higher. Um, and you know, that's because of the quality of of that infield behind them. I mean, you know, you look at you know uh, Colton Wong, uh, Paul DeYoung was seventh overall, Colton Wong was thirteenth, Carpenter was twenty fifth, Goldschmidt was thirty third. So that's any St. Louis Cardinals pitcher is going to have the value of that defense behind them. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you mentioned the likes of, say, a uh, Luke Weaver, and he comes up on the list. I just saw him. He had, I believe, seven outs above average is what they're showing mm-hmm. here. What are you uh, getting out of Luke Weaver that got your attention? 
Um, so, so Luke Weaver was somebody I was interested in just because he's, you know, he's kind of being discussed as this uh, prime sleeper right now. Um, so I wanted to see, um, I wanted to see what, what if there was anything actionable with Luke Weaver in terms of um, this being something that we could we could buy into. Um, I think the key for me was then using the defensive metric. OAA itself doesn't explain everything, but it says, okay, um, this pitcher got better than average defense or below average defense. Why do we think that is? For Weaver in particular, I think it's he changed his pitch mix. So in the second half of, of 2018, he was a, a four-seam fastball changeup curveball guy. Um, and in 2019, he started adding a cutter, and the cutter replaced his curveball basically um which was his it was his primary pitch for just like a get me over strike and that pitch posted a a 263 batting average against a 158 iso so it was huge for limiting contact so when you look at it and then you say okay so he adds a pitch which is designed to get soft contact which then is a pitch that requires um, or is then benefited by having a, a good defense behind you. So then that tells me a little bit more about whether that's actionable for Luke Weaver or not. And last year, the Diamondbacks had the fifth best defense based on OAA. So, you know, you got a pitcher throwing a contact, getting ground balls, solid defense behind him. That tells me that a lot of that success is actually something that can be sustainable. Okay. I like that. Uh, another interesting name, on the list that's been kind of depends on what camp you sit in is Sonny Gray. Some people love him. Some people not so much. Another guy, seven outs above average. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing like 92% um, success rate is estimated success rate is 90%. So for the most part, seem pretty good, but I know there's a yeah. lot of uh, mixed reviews on Sonny Gray. What were you seeing on him? Um, so, so I looked at that and I was surprised because I, I guess I don't think you we normally think of the Reds as having a great defense. They did have a top ten defense based on on OAA last year, and then you dig into it and you're like, okay, part of the reason for that is Jose Iglesias at shortstop. Um, they played Jose Iglesias for most of the time at shortstop last year. He was OAA's ninth ranked overall fielder. Um, if you use UZR, he's a five point nine UZR at at short. Um, you know, they're bringing in Freddie Galvis this year, which isn't a major drop off, but it's not Jose Iglesias. Um, and then if they're fully healthy, they have Mike Moustakis playing at second base. Um, so Moustakis um, had a full season at second base. He was below average defender at second base. Uh, so now you start to see that that defense that Gray had last year might not be the same defense that he has this year in terms of overall quality. And then you look at the fact that in 2018, his overall BABIB was 326. And in 2019, his BABIB was 255. So he was getting already crazy lucky last year in terms of BABIB. If you go to a StatCast page and even look by pitch, the batting average against on his curve was 131. The batting average against on his slider was 117. Those just aren't – they're not sustainable numbers. They're not in line with his career record um, or his career track record. Uh, so I, I think you have to anticipate some 
some BABIB regression and a potentially worse defense behind him. So that causes me to pump the brakes a little bit on believing um, some of what was there last year. Now, again, it's not to say he's a bad pitcher, um, but I'm not buying a, a sub three ERA. And definitely, if uh, the BABIP increases like it should and a worse defense, uh, lots lots to point in that range. So that's interesting to look at because I, I've looked at the BABIP in most scenarios. I haven't I haven't thought about the defense the way it describes it here. So interesting way to go about it. Uh, let's look at a couple in the reverse direction here. Adrian Hauser. Uh, let's talk about a guy that does not get many outs above average. Actually, doesn't get any. It appears. What uh, does this give you intrigued to maybe buy into Hauser, or does it give you more concern for Hauser? I got to tell you, uh, I'm I'm big on Hauser uh, coming into this year. Um, I I wish I could, you know, I've got I've got reasons. Um, you know, I don't know if they're all rational or not. Um, maybe it's a little bit of just you know you want to have a guy on your team who you know, throws up on the field in the middle of the game and you just, you just pull for a guy <laughs> like that. Um, you know, but as you mentioned, he was, he was five outs um, below average last year. Um, and um, a lot of that has to do with, um, uh, let me go to his page real quick. Um, there's, I think there's an improved defense behind him. So right now they have um, Eric Sogard penciled in at third base. He was the 27th best infielder in OAA last year. Um, Travis Shaw was 70th, so that's an improvement. Um, you've got Justin Smoke, who is an above-average first baseman, now likely going to play the majority of the games at, at first base as a lefty, so he'll be in against righties. Um, Keston Hira was the 130th ranked fielder in OAA. I looked at a bunch of, you know, I, I don't have – as much of a knowledge of his minor league fielding as, you know, some of the minor league guys, but I read a bunch of his reports. He doesn't seem to be that much of a below average fielder. You have to assume he gets a little bit more comfortable um, at the major league level. So you've got improvements at two positions with new fielders, and then you've got a likely improvement um, with a young player. And then whenever Luis Urias is healthy, um, he was a much better fielder by OAA, than Orlando Arcia last year. So you have upgrades at all four positions um, on the field. And that's before you even get into the fact that I just like a lot of what Hauser does. Um, now, Hauser is a, a pitcher who only has a 9.6 swing strike percentage um, and a low 27.5 O swing. Um, he has a 50, uh, 53.4 ground ball percentage. So he induces weak ground ball contact. So when you have a pitcher who induces lots of weak ground ball contact, who was getting below average defense behind him last year, but still put up a 372 ERA and is now going to get better, arguably better defense behind him this year. Um, I really don't see why people are starting to, you know, predict a, a mid fours, high fours ERA. I don't know if it's three seven two, but I, I don't see any reason why he can't hover around four or or just under four. And I think that you know he's not a guy who's going to give you a lot of K's, but but I do like him as a as a late round option. He's got a great you know two seamer sinker, depending on uh, you know where you're looking at and what and what it um, what they refer to it as. But it induces a lot of of weak contact, has a lot of run on it. Talking about weak contact and an improved Milwaukee defense, 
does this make you like uh, Brandon Woodruff more, or is this more a Hauser thing? Um, no, I think it applies both ways. I mean, I think Hauser is a little more reliant on on defense uh, than Woodruff, who definitely misses more bats than than Hauser. But I would say I'm I'm in the camp that is buying into Woodruff more than the camp that that's fading him. Gotcha. Uh, and for the last one here, is it, it's kind of fun as I've been scrolling around now really never even looking at this page kind of goes back to the beginning of the podcast where I'm still learning so many stats. Um, the very last guy, there's 277 players, pitchers, uh-huh. pitchers on this list. And he has minus nine outs above average. No one else has minus nine. And this could be because of that bad reds defense we talked about, or some Indians defense as well, but it can't be this bad for Trevor Bauer again in 2020. Can it? Um, no. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it can. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, Trevor Bauer first came up um, um, on Roto Bauer also about a month ago. Um, Riley Mrak wrote a, an article on um, flyball metrics and looking at positive regression candidates for flyball metrics. And he, um, his article points to Bauer as a positive regression for flyball metrics. And then you also see that on top of the fact that um, his fly ball rate was uncharacteristically high in terms of his career marks. Um, and he gave up um, 20 home runs uh, after giving up 19 in the previous three years combined. Um, then you also look at the fact that he technically, according to OAA, got was the beneficiary of the worst defense of any pitcher who was measured. And then you have to think there's positive regression coming that way. I think it's just now coming in on too many different planes with too many different types of stats to suggest that that Bauer won't regress, um, regress to the mean. So uh, won't kind of improve on his performance from from last year. Um, so you mentioned how you've been digging into this. You, you, there's new developments in it. What's next for what you're going to work on with uh, for Rotoball or just in general? What do you trying to completely like take out of this metric and use? Um, we're, the next thing I'm doing is looking at, at new arms or sort of new uh, teams, uh, pitchers on new teams and trying to see what the OA oh, about the fielding defense would suggest about, about where they're going. Um, so for example, you know, everybody keeps talking about um, Marcus Stroman and Oh, Marcus Stroman's in the NL now. Um, and you know, He's he's throwing the slider more, and they're expecting you know a little bit more um, uh, progression from him, more positive results. Well, the Blue Jays had the twelfth best defense last year according to OAA, and the Mets had the twenty fourth. So, um, and the difference was in in runs also is that the the Blue Jays were five runs uh, five sorry in outs where Blue Jays were five outs above average. And the Mets were 13 outs below average. So that's an 18 out swing. So if you're saying that Stroman is going to use that slider more and induce more ground ball contact, well, now he's sure he's off the turf, but he's got a worse defense behind him. So I'm not so sure I'm buying into Marcus Stroman in the NL is better than Marcus Stroman in the AL. So things like that will is what I'm digging into right now and trying to identify some guys whose moves I think were beneficial for them. Um, and some guys whose moves may have been, um, you know, kind of like horizontal or, or maybe even put them in a worse spot. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Uh, last bit of a conversation for tonight's show, uh, barrel growth. I talked about earlier, barrel seems to be like the stickiest, most consistent kind of mm-hmm. 
stat cast metric that we can use to show positive hitting, basically. That's the most simple way I could say, like really good quality of contact, a good barrel rate. And there's guys that barrel rates continue to grow up year by year, go down year by year, fluctuate year by year. Lots of weird variances all over the place. You've been digging in on guys uh, with growth and regression. So uh, how about you give me a couple um, guys you've seen in the, let's start with the positive, last half full situation. Um, give me a couple guys that you've seen some positive growth in barrel rates. Um, so I'll, I'll take this opportunity to to get on my soapbox for somebody who I apparently am <laughs> the, the I, an unwilling or uh, champion of. I did not know that I was going to continuously be so much higher on Rugnet Odor than uh-huh, almost Rudy. anybody else. Um, but, you know, Odor, um, Odor was the, uh, the seventh, he had the seventh, uh, best growth in barrels. Um, his barrels per batted ball event percentage in 2018 was 7.2 in 2019, it was 13.6. So he jumped, uh, 6.6.4% in terms of barrels per batted ball event. Um, he has an 89.4 average exit velocity. Um, he had 113.1 max exit velocity, um, which was uh, basically only one mile per hour below Miguel Sano, who everybody says is, you know, one of the most powerful hitters in, in baseball. Um, and then you look at, you know, it caused me to dig in on him a little bit more. You see Odor's O-swing has dropped in three consecutive years. Yes, his O swing is still thirty three percent. It's high, um, but it's a positive plate discipline metric. His uh, walk percentage has increased over the last three years, so he's taking more walks, swinging outside the zone less incrementally over the last three years. He's consistently hitting for um, more barrels. He had eighty sixth percentile hard hit percentage. He had a nearly five degree increase in his launch angle, and he has stolen uh, – sorry, he's hit for 30 home runs and stolen at least 10 bases in three of the last four years. So a 30-10 guy going outside of the top 200 um, and a guy who's shown better plate discipline metrics and consistent barrel contact, uh, I, I think I'm I think I'm think in on that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I love me some Rugies He's going about pick 233 right now over the last two weeks in NFPC online uh, championships it, it's one of those things if your team is comfortable and batting average i love getting the power speed combo uh, one thing i talk about on this show and other shows a lot is i want guys that can get me double digits in steals as many times as i can like you can't do it with everybody like i get it you just can't but especially in these later round guys when you're taking gambles on bench players or later just options like a Rugden Odor gets you 10 steals. You know, you go get a Trent Grisham late, gets you 15-plus steals. Mm-hmm. Things like that to just help your team out so much more in an overall contest. I love Odor. It's one of those things. We've seen him do it in the past, and you mentioned the gains he had in all of his his, uh, his hitting stats, all the, the barrels, the EVs, all that stuff you mentioned. If he can just put it together, maybe at 250, my goodness, what he could do and, for your team. And it's funny you say 250 because – so Odor hit 205 last year. His yeah, K perfect. percentage, his K percentage was over thirty percent, and all of the underlying metrics, as we mentioned, were either the same as in the past or better than in the past. And he just his strike percentage was 
an anomaly. His strikeout percentage, sorry, was an anomaly. Um, the year before, 2018, his strikeout percentage was seven percent points lower. He hit 253, and in 2017, he also hit 204. So everybody has this notion that he's a 200 hitter. Well, in 2016, he hit 271, and in 2015, he hit 261. Um, so basically, in three of the last five years, he's hit 250 or better. So he he has it in him, and he's shown in the past that he can be a 250 hitter. He's only 26 years old. Sometimes I think we we think that he's because he's been around for you know almost six years. He broke through in 2014. That he's way older than he is. But you know, you're giving me a 26 year old uh, hitter who's hit 250 or above in um, the majority of his major league baseball seasons, who's a 30-10 threat, I'll take that and and bank on that over the two years that he was hitting at 200. Yeah, and his 428 Expo Bacon, I'm a big Expo Bacon fan, and you know, when I see 428 on a guy that produced a 205 batting average, um, I, I like what, what could happen if he just, you know, just some minor tweaks. Could yep. go a long, long way. So uh, I'm a big Ruggy fan with you as well. He's sucking me back in. Uh, who's another guy that gained pretty well this year? Um, another guy that's being drafted uh, regularly um, in in 12 team drafts um, would be Dansby Swanson. Um, he had a six percent growth. Uh, he was 4.1 percent barrels per batted ball event in 2018, and he went to 10.1. Um, I think Swanson's really interesting. We've talked about how deep shortstop is um, this year and how, you know, you can fill your middle infield um, with a, a shortstop late in the drafts. Um, I, I, I really like Swanson. Um, that, those numbers caused me to dig in on him. Um, you know, he was – he on July 23rd, he hurt his heel. He missed a month, and then he returned. And when he returned, his stats were all out of whack. His strikeout percentage was like 13% points higher than, than before. Um, he hit 17 homers before he got hurt. He hit zero after he got hurt. So I look at the full season and I say, all right, that injury definitely affected him. Jeff Zimmerman's done some great work about how uh, playing through injuries hurts guys' numbers. But I look at a guy whose hard hit percentage has increased in each of the last three years. His ground ball percentage has decreased in each of the last three years, his zone swing percentage has increased. So he's being a little bit more aggressive. Um, his exit velocity improved, his barrels jumped and his, his XBA, his X batting average was 271, which was compared to his actual batting average of 251. So you're telling me that I have a 260, 270 hitter who, you know, could actually pop 20 to 25, home runs and, and steal 10 plus bases um, hitting at the top of a, of a really good order. I mean, let's say he goes 2010 and, and hits 260 with, you know, 70 RBIs, 80 runs. I mean, that's well worth a pick around 200 and he's going well after that right now. I absolutely love Danzy Swanson. I've talked about him many times. Uh, you look like you said, his stat cast page is ridiculous uh, someone on Twitter today compared him to Glaber Torres, and he's equal to or outgains him in almost every stat cast metric, which is beautiful to see. It was a matter of he was hurt last year, especially in the second half of the season. And, um, you know, sit, hitting it towards when he hit it towards the top of the order, he was doing really, really well. 
bottom of the order, not so much. Right now, he's projected to hit like maybe six, which would be pretty good. I take that in a heartbeat. So I love Dansby. I think he's a great middle infield option, or even an extra shortstop. Like it's if depending on how your draft flows, there I don't think there's anything wrong this year with having three shortstops in your lineup because there's so yep. many good ones. So um, Dansby's a guy that I think it, it shows how deep the position is because he's so talented, and it's hard to really argue with any of the guys ahead of him. Like you could easily say Dansby can be over them at the same time. They're all pretty good in their own rights, so it's not. It's kind of like getting picky in the situation. It's just such a deep position, exactly. but he should he should be going higher than where he's going. He should. So, that, uh, I mean, yeah. that's why when we were talking TGFBI stuff, you know, I didn't even bring up that you know in the eleventh round, I didn't expect you know Corey Seager's still out there, Jorge Polanco's still out mm-hmm. there, um, uh, Gene Segura's still out there, who's going to have shortstop second base eligibility because he's going to play second in in Philly. Those are all guys that I love and I didn't even think about taking them because there's just so many still out there that, you know, it's really, I actually think it's driving down the price of a lot of good shortstops because everybody is just saying, you know what, this position's deep, you can wait. And then you can wait on some guys that should be going maybe three full rounds earlier. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Give me one of the guys that's falling in the wrong direction. Uh, one of the guys falling in the wrong direction um, is actually Jesus Aguilar. Um, and it's actually, um, Jesus Aguilar and, and Eric Thames were almost ex- kind of like exactly similar situations. So Aguilar was down 11.4% barrels per batted ball event to 7.5. Um, Eric Thames was down from 16.7%, which is a crazy high percentage of barrels per batted ball event and likely unsustainable to 9.3. But what I thought was interesting about both of them was their exit velocities stayed the same as they were in their strong years. Their launch angles were still where we want them to be. Uh, Their sweet spot percentage was still up above uh, major league average. Um, uh, Eric Thames' sweet spot percentage was basically in line with his 2018. Both of their K percentages went down and Jesus Aguilar's walk percentage went up. So you're looking at guys who are still hitting the ball hard, are still hitting the ball at um, a launch angle that's preferable for home runs, are not striking out as much, um, and their barrels just went down. They weren't getting um, as much good contact as they did the year before. To me, I really think that, and this is something where we talk, we'll bring it all back full circle to the start of the podcast. I think sometimes you get things that stats don't tell you. Both of those guys are in platoon situations last year. They're not getting consistent playing time. There are days on end where they're sitting on the bench, um, especially um, when you're a power hitter like that. You know, it is a lot of, of rhythm seeing the ball. Um, and, you know, when you don't get to establish that rhythm, when you have maybe an 0 for 3 or, you know, an 0 for 9 stretch and then you're sitting and you're kind of stewing on it for a while, um, there is a sense that if you're still hitting the ball hard in general, but I'm not getting as many barrels, I'm just – what it tells me is they're a little bit off. Mm-hmm. They're not all off. It's not broken. It's not last year's Travis Shaw. It's something that's maybe these guys get out of a platoon situation – um, or as heavy of a platoon situation as they were in last year, and they're able to regain a little bit more of the 2018 magic. 
which is actually kind of why I, I like them in their new situations. I mean, I think Aguilar is locked into plate appearances in Miami, and Tim's is on the right side of uh, Platoon in Washington. Um, and I kind of think at the end of a draft, these are guys who maybe the the barrel percentage dropping is more of a, a red herring and is going to lead people away from them when we shouldn't be running away from them. Yeah, it's a good point, the, the platoon thing, because you can't get in a rhythm. Your timing's off. I think there's a lot to be said about that because Aguilar was just a mess last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a mess. Thames would have his moments, but still kind of sketchy. Like you mentioned, Thames goes to Washington, platooning with uh, Ryan Zimmerman, still the strong side. And Aguilar shouldn't have any issue getting playing time. Actually, Aguilar is a very intriguing uh, late-round corner infield type power bat. That he's literally got 35-plus home run upside if he figures it out. Um, he's going about pick 340. Eric Thames about pick 360 right now. Uh, there's some other guys like Justin Smoke at 357. Um, we got Howie Kendrick at 351. Evan White for the, the Mariners at 349. So it's an interesting group at the back end of your first base corner infield type situation. Um, yeah. Anybody else that stood out as drops? Um, Randall Grichuk stood out as, as a drop. I mean, I, I do, you know, one of the biggest drops was Chris Davis. I think that was just based on his, his hip. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buying still back pretty, on him. I'm still buying back way in. Um, you know, Randall Grichuk is somebody I keep hearing about. If you need power late in drafts, you know, draft Randall Grichuk. Um, and sure. I mean, you know, he had 31 home runs last year. He had 25 the year before. Um, you know, he, he can certainly hit home runs. Um, I see uh, an exit velocity that's lower than I want for a power hitter. I see um, a, a declining barrel percentage for three years in a row. Um, you know, I see a declining sweet spot percentage for three years in a row. I see declining X stats for three years in a row. Um, I see declining um, X Wobacon for three years in a row. So, eh, I mean, I think if you need power late, uh, you know, I'd much rather um, – I don't, I mean, I'd much rather at their cost, I'd much rather, you know, wait on a guy like, like Tim's or Aguilar than take Grichik, who's, you know, um, at least the, the last time I looked um, is going, you know, in the, the like 270 range. Yeah, two, opposed, 278, yeah. Right. As opposed to those, you know, mid 300 numbers you're, you're calling out for some of the other guys. Um, so I'm, I'm not buying in on, on Grichik as a, as a power source late in drafts. Um, I just think that there's there's so much power going around, um, you know, in the league that I think I just don't know um, that if if he continues his trend of declining numbers, I think you might be looking at another like 24 home run season, 25, and that that's fine, but it, it's not something that you're going to be super happy about. Um, I yeah, do want to plug. But it's common also. Yeah, I do want to plug for the positives. Um, another guy that I've been championing the whole way, and it's uh, I might regret it because we're in a two-catcher league right now. Uh, but if you take his last full year um, as a starter, so that was 2017, and compare that to uh, and compare that to last year, 2019, um, the player whose barrel percentage grew more uh, barrels per batted ball event uh, percentage grew more than anybody was Jason Castro. Um, I love Castro. His, his stat cast page is amazing. It's great. And he got lost in the <laughs> shuffle because he was on the same team as Mitch Garver, and Mitch yep. Garver was the breakout darling last year. 
Um, and, you know, rightfully so. Mitch Garver deserves, you know, all the, the talk and the attention and the love that he's getting. Uh, but Jason Castro had a great year last year. Now he finds himself as the starting catcher in Los Angeles in a good lineup um, as a left-handed bat. Uh, and I just think that there's an opportunity there for him, you know, to to not only be able to accumulate some RBIs and runs with the top of that lineup hitting behind him, but I see no reason why he, he can't push 20 home runs if he's, you know, able to get 400-plus playing appearances in that lineup, which I which I think happens. Completely agree. Um, I, I even, in, in TGFBI last year, because I wasn't as aggressive on catchers, I was playing Castro off and on the entire season. Like when Garver was hurt and stuff, Castro was a regular in my lineup. And then when Garver comes came back, I couldn't, you know, afford the situation that was there. But he's a, a heck of a hitter out there. And he's a really good defensive catcher, which keeps yeah. him in the rotation a lot more than people think. That's why I'm still kind of telling people, like, Garver, I get, was a beast at the plate. I expect some regression there. He's still really good. But his defense isn't great, and they brought uh, Avila in. And Avila is a very good defensive catcher. Mm-hmm. Valdelli loves his defensive guys. So – I'm not saying Garver can't be good, but Garver got a lot of time at first base last year too. Now Miguel Sano is going to be there. So right. uh, keep that in mind. He'll still be good. I, it's just hard for me to reach for him uh, in situations. But I love the Castro call, 23rd catcher off the board, about 335. Yeah, it, It's going to be interesting though because he's gone as high as 284. Uh, I have a feeling the TGFBI is going to go much higher. He's one of those guys, the more we talk about him, I've heard him on a lot of shows lately. Like I wrote him up. A long time ago, in on a different uh, in my rankings and stuff, as my like late round sleeper catcher, I'm starting to see a lot more people mention him. I'm getting really nervous. He's going to start climbing up draft boards, and then, I, it's, then it's kind of like, is he going to be worth it? Type thing. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I think you know he's not gonna he's not catching 140 150 games, um, and I think that you know there are few catchers out there who do that. Uh, mm-hmm. and as he starts climbing, you know, maybe it doesn't become worth the price anymore, which would be sad because I kind of think TGFBI in a two-catcher league might be the, the only league for me to reasonably be rostering uh, uh, Jason Castro, and I, I really want to. Um, but, you know, uh, I guess we'll have to see. I'm kind of hoping I still get my share of him in TGFBI, but, you know, I'm not going to go crazy. There are some there are some guys that are slipping um, in two catchers that I would you know take and be sad about, but uh, you know still survive. And and you mentioned something there is you know not many catchers catch that many games anymore, and I I can't remember the number off the top of my head right now, but I wrote the catcher preview of the fantasy black book Joe Pisapia's book, and I broke down kind of the you know X amount of guys only caught this many games. X like it's not like the old days where every main starter caught 140 plus games. It really doesn't happen anymore. There were a lot of guys because a lot of catchers now DH play first base. Also, it feels like that were playing between 90 and 110 games on like Mm -hmm. all these teams. A lot of them were. So there's a point in the two catcher league that if they're consistently producing like a Jason Castro at 125 or 130 games, they're still a great asset, like a really good asset. Uh, So there's a lot to be said. It's uh, one of those things where, uh, in daily leagues where I hate rostering extra catchers, but like the Barf League I'm in, it's a two-catcher league, but it's daily leagues. I literally have Kurt Suzuki and Yon Gomes on my roster. I have three catchers, and I hate it because I hate having three catchers on my roster. Yeah. At the same time, I'll always have the Nationals catcher in the lineup, like stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. 
So lots of ways to approach it. But uh, Eric, this was a blast. Time flew. Uh, I know. As we were chatting this up. Had a great um, time. No problem. What else? What do you got coming up at Rollerblower? Plug away your Twitter account, all that good stuff. Uh, so the Twitter account is at SamskiNYC. That's uh, S-A-M-S-K-I-N-Y-C. Um, right now, a lot, of, a lot of TGFBI on the Twitter account. Um, I've got the the OAA stuff coming out at um, Rotoballer. And then I'm actually, you know, you brought it up at the beginning of the show, uh, the idea of line drive percentage. Uh, I'm going to start digging into line drive percentage and looking over the last three years and, and see whose line drive percentages have, you know, increased. And if we can kind of look at changes in line drive percentage as a way to project who might be uh, breaking out or not. So I'm going to dig into that research now and um, kind of see what we can pull out from there. Oh, I can't wait to check it out. It's been a pleasure uh, reading your stuff and getting you on the pod. And I can't wait to have you on again sometime. So we'll definitely do this again in the future. Can't wait. All right, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 253 with Eric Samolsky of Rotoballer talking TGFBI, recent news, barrels, outs above average, all kinds of cool stuff. So go check him out on Twitter and we will catch you guys next time. Yeah.